This is Me, Myself and Disaster, the show all about disasters with a human focus. From hurricanes to humanitarian issues, we journey across fault lines to explore trends in disaster preparedness, response and recovery. Over to you, Josh and Andrew. Hello and welcome back to Me, Myself and Disaster, the show where we talk all things disaster with a human focus. The palm trees are swaying gently in the breeze. The water is crystal clear. And in the distance, there's the sound of long tail boats heading between nearby islands. We're in Phuket, Thailand, to understand what happened after the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami. The 9.0 magnitude earthquake resulted in more than 200,000 deaths across Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India and Thailand, and an estimated 1.7 million people were displaced. Sadly, 250 people lost their lives here in Phuket, and today we're joined by a local restaurateur to better understand the impacts to this bustling tropical paradise visited by millions of tourists every year. Andrew, Who's joining us on the show today? Josh, we're joined today by Sue Altman, who is the executive manager of the Ban Rimpa restaurant in Phuket. Sue was born in Australia and has lived and worked in Asia for more than 20 years. Prior to moving to Thailand, she was the associate publisher of the Travel Week magazine with staff across 23 countries. Back in 2004, Sue was in Phuket at the time of the tsunami, managing three restaurants within the Ban Rimpa group. Today on the show, we'll be asking Sue what happened on Boxing Day back in 2004 how the business community recovered from the disaster and what advice she has for communities preparing for the threat of a tsunami. Let's chat here in paradise with Sue Altman on Me, Myself and Disaster. We're here in Phuket in Thailand today with Sue Altman. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to have you here. You've been travelling around the world and you've originally grown up in Australia, but you've been here in Thailand since 1998. What brought you to Thailand in the first place? Uh, Well, my background was the travel media and I spent a lot of time in Asia. And uh, then I uh, remarried to an Australian hotelier and he'd always wanted to live in Asia. So we decided, okay, let's pack up and move for a few years. To, uh, to Asia. Well, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Sitting here at the Ban Rimpa restaurant, looking out over the, the sea, it's a pretty incredible view. And that background noise is the wind and the ocean. And uh, this is like this restaurant has been here for, for a number of years since the Boxing Day tsunami, well before that. Tell us about life here before the 2004 tsunami. What was it like, this restaurant? Tell us about the restaurant and, and what, what it offers. Um, okay, so Ban Rimpa was started in. 1989, which is uh, a long time ago for a restaurant. Most restaurants don't hold up. And it was started by an American guy who um, came to Phuket and he started, uh, he opened a restaurant in his house, but he was a hotel or a restaurateur. And um, yeah, the restaurant sort of grew and grew and um, has become world famous. And uh, to this day, we serve royal Thai cuisine. We only serve Thai food, but high-end Thai food. So, I mean, part of the conversation here is really around um, the Boxing Day tsunami, and you were here before it, during it, and after it. Can you take uh, our listeners through what happened 
happened on that day? Because you, you were here in Phuket. Absolutely. Um, it was an interesting morning. I was um, I was at home with a friend of mine, and my husband actually had had to go to work that morning. And uh, I remember looking out and seeing how blue the sky was. Now that sounds a bit weird, but it was it was really blue. And uh, all of a sudden, there was my swimming pool got a wave on it. And we joked about it because my girlfriend had bought a uh, boogie board for my husband for Christmas. Uh, shortly after that, phone, the phone started ringing and my boss from Bunner and Pa, who had just moved into his new home on one side, which overlooked the water, uh, back to our restaurants. And uh, I lived down the south and he said, something's happened. And I said, yeah, I've just had phone calls. And it just went crazy. Uh, my husband called me. He had gone to his um, hotel where he, w- he worked and he actually saw the second wave. And he said, that's a tsunami. He was one of the few people who really knew what a tsunami was back then. Uh, and then the day just went crazy after that because he raced down to the water to try and help people um, at that stage he saw pickup trucks with bodies in the back of them mm. um, I remember we grabbed towels and, and threw them in my car and tried to drive down towards the beach there were in Rawai all the boats were all washed up onto the to the road and you couldn't get down that way we tried to go another way and the police sent us back and we went and sat for a while to to try and work out what to do but uh, yeah then everyone everyone came together I've never seen anything like it in my life people raced to hospitals to help um, we didn't know what had happened out on places like PP Island we didn't know what had happened in Kalak you only knew what was happening right where you were mm. um, I knew what was happening with our restaurants we had three restaurants at the time one of them had been completely washed away mm-hmm. um, the one next to that was 50% gone and Ban Rinpar had lost a corner but we were, we were still uh, still there basically yeah. I think we were having a conversation when we, we started and I think it was a really interesting comment you made it's that you know your husband was looking out the window and noticed the second wave and obviously you're telling us you know as an, an avid uh, geography National Geographic fan and was you know had, obviously had um, the knowledge to be able to identify what was happening but in terms of the local community and the general population in this area can you talk us through about you know was there any early warnings um, you know how you know as you said your phone just started ringing but you know what type of lead time or any warning or or how did that play out in the community there was absolutely no warning Um, nobody knew about what was happening people the majority of people including myself uh, didn't know that there'd been an earthquake um, in Indonesia which is where it in Banda Aceh where it started they didn't nobody knew about the water all coming and building up and this uh, uh, the way it all happens and uh, so there was zero warning zero there were a few um, people like my husband who had studied these things and knew exactly what it was about and um, but most of us didn't it just hit and what happened in, in places that you'll see the videos in Patong Beach where the first the wave came in the first wave came in and then it's it's a bit like um, 
a rubber band being pulled back and the water went all the way out uh, several hundred metres and fish were jumping around on the sand. People actually went out and were grabbing the fish and that's when the second wave hit. Now, what killed people and damaged things were was not so much the water, but the pressure of the water picked everything up in it. It picked up boats, it picked up trees, it picked up anything, um, beach things, and that's what uh, did all the damage. The third wave was not as big. It was the second wave that did all the damage, but there was no warning. How do the tourists go? Looking back out here on Patong Beach, there are tourists, hundreds and thousands of tourists down there, sitting there, drinking cocktails, or they're doing, having fun. What happened to all those people who were staying in hotels and resorts and going to restaurants that were all impacted by the disaster? What happened to all those people just displaced now for days, weeks, months, I'm guessing? No, not for so long. Um, what happened in the, in the beginning? Uh, fortunately, it happened in the morning. Had it have happened at night time, there would have been thousands more dead because you wouldn't have seen anything. People saw it. A lot of people ran. Um, They ran across the road. They ran into buildings. They ran upstairs. Of course, a lot of people got caught. Um, But because it was visual, people ran and, and tried to get away from it. And that saved a lot of lives. Um, What happened after that, though, was was amazing. Because it only hit the coastline um, all down the west coast of of Phuket, from Rawai, where I live, which is in the southern, it came in very low there. Mm. So there wasn't a lot of high damage. By the time it came up the coast and then headed up over onto the mainland, it built up. The power of it got stronger and stronger, and there's also a lot of coves that it came in. There's also it's the flat areas where it did the most damage because it, you know, it could it could come in. But because it was the coastal area, everyone back, let's say, 500 meters or a kilometer back, nothing was damaged. Mm. So everyone came together, whether they were local people, whether they were tourists, whether they were expats, it didn't matter what colour, race, religion, everyone came together and helped everyone. So, um, like I said, locals, uh, I went and and helped at the uh, international school, which was immediately turned into an evacuation centre. The local government immediately set up in their grounds big stands and they got people from all different countries, volunteers who uh, and flags from every country you can imagine mm. and people if they'd lost their passports or if they'd lost a person I mean when, when people started coming back from Pipi and we started to find out what had happened out there, people had lost family members, they couldn't find family members so we had big boards up immediately where people could f- put photographs and try and locate people um, there was no um, disease or anything afterwards because there was plenty of fresh water. Uh, local people, I remember I was in at the government offices one day and there was this little old Thai man walking around and he had two bags and in them he had hats. And he was pulling the hats out and pointing to the, your head and handing you a hat and telling you to put the hat on because the sun was hot. Mm giving them away. Shops where people who, um, you know, 
poorer Thai people who have a little shop, they were giving away water. They were making people, because people were in shock. Yeah. I mean, absolute shock, and they were walking around dazed. So people, everyone was just helping everybody else. And it was cleaned up and put back together very quickly compared to a lot of other places. And that shock, I'm guessing, there would have been a period where people were, I guess, surprised or I guess in shock of that first few days. And then did it take some time to realise the full extent of the damage or people kind of then starting to contemplate and, and get a sense of actually how, how deep and, and big the damage was along the entire coastline? I think it was all within, let's say, 48 hours, we realised how bad things were. Um, I keep mentioning Pipi because that was a real disaster area out there. Um, Pipi has a, a dip in the middle and the, the wave went through. I mean, a lot of people were lost out there. and But we didn't know we're, we're on the mainland. Uh, guys who had gone out diving in the morning from boats, they came back into Pipi. Um, thinking they're coming back to the hotel, they knew something had gone wrong with, with you know, when they'd been out there. But they came into bodies and, and debris and everything floating in the water. And you can imagine wow. you've gone out early in the morning, you haven't gone out for a dive, and then you come back and you. Apocalyptic. Absolutely. And they had no idea. They were out in the water, I guess, just paddling around and probably under the water didn't realise, and then they'd come back and it was all different. Well, under, apparently underwater there was a lot of turbulence and things, and they knew something was wrong, but so they've got in their boats and they've come back, and, and it was crazy. Um, you know, it's the same down in Patong. Uh, the damage was mainly on the beach road, and then it, it, the sand did go through to the second road, but the beach road looked like a beach. Boats were in shop windows. Cars were in shop windows things like that but the uh it took me i think it was 48 hours before i could get to our restaurants mm. um because of, i live in the very south and you just couldn't get through on different roads and uh everything because it was blocked but it was the lower lying areas that were were damaged and um but the cleanup process was faster than anywhere I've ever seen, or mm. not that I've been in a lot of disasters, but people just got in and did it, you know. And uh, yes, a lot of the rebuilding along the coastline took, obviously, took longer uh, because there was a lot of damage. But um, we didn't go through like places go where there's no food or no water, or there was plenty of everything. Uh, which really helped the disaster. Step us through that that timeline, because from mm. what I'm getting from the conversation is that it, that immediate relief was quite quickly because of that that sense of community in these areas, and I, and I think it just goes to show you know a lot of research says that you know a connected community is a resilient community because that that ability to kind of that rubber band effect you know bounce back and and start to do things. But in terms of from day one to relief and then, you know, working into that more restoring infrastructure, what were those kind of time periods? How long did it take before kind of this area was back to, I guess, some sort of normality, uh, as you would say? So, I mean, it happened at uh, around 10.30 in the morning and for the next 48 hours, it was obviously a lot of disaster. Um, I should be really careful. You'll probably cut this out. But the the um, the worst thing was that governments were very slow. 
uh, in responding, and I'm talking about the Australian government, the British government, the Americans, all different, who all have uh, consulates in Bangkok. It took them more than 48 hours to get here. And then they set up, uh, this was a disaster area, so the people that they sent down here uh, were given disaster packages, whereas everybody else was just in hands-on, you know, and, and working. The cleanup um, was done by government and local people and, you know, moving concrete, moving boats, moving um, moving things. The rebuilding and, and Patong Beach, I would say it, it took a few days to, to start to clear it and then it, it just it moved really quickly because we had um, journalists from all over the world here and some of the journalists were getting upset because it was getting cleaned up too quickly for them. Wow. You know, I mean, there was one, yeah. one uh, Amer- very, very well-known um, American journalist who in the evening had said, we're going to film here tomorrow because this is still a disaster wreckage zone. When she came out in the morning to film, it had all been cleaned up. Mm. She wanted to pay money to have the rubbish brought back again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were, we had um, Colin Powell come. Uh, we had uh, you know, But they all came down the track. You know, all these high-profile people who wanted to be seen to be high-profile. Because it's a tourist destination, had it have been other places that didn't have so many different nationalities under one area, which we did. We had people from all over the world who were affected, who lost family. Um, so the governments all came and, and sort of said, okay, you know, we, we, we have to be there, we have to be seen. Other destinations who have, where they've had worse disasters don't get anywhere near as much coverage. But it was because being a tourist destination and you have people from Norway, Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, all over Europe, Australia, of course, um, Britain, United States, those, all the governments came eventually to be seen. But by that stage, the local people, and I'm talking local expats and local Thais, um, whether they were Buddhist or Muslim, it didn't matter. Everybody just just got in. Everyone got in and did what needed to be done and and helped people. Um, Even if you didn't have experience, people... I did it. We, I, I was, if you want to call it, almost counselling someone who um, uh, they lost their their baby in um, Pipi. They had two little little children, and and I met this woman. I was talking to her at the um, relief centre, and she was very calm, and and she had these two little boys that were very calm, and they were almost too calm. Mm. And I said to her, you know, can I get something for your children to play with? Um, And I started talking to her and then she just looked at me and she said, I've lost my baby. And I didn't quite know what she meant. Yeah. And then she burst into tears and then she told me that her eight-month-old baby had been with her husband and also one of the little boys. And um, he wave hit. He managed to hold on to the little boy but not the baby and the husband was out on pee trying to find the body of the baby, which fortunately they did, but it was, you know, wow. and that's just one little story. There yeah. were 
so many things. And like I said, people like myself who weren't trained, we just, we, we did jobs that um, you just normally didn't do. I know someone who held hands of people in hospital as they passed away, several, several people. You just did it. Yeah. Everyone came together. A, a really traumatic experience and we thank you for you know having this conversation with us because we know it must be hard um did you ever consider leaving the area afterwards was there ever that thought in your mind that this is just too much we've got to get out of here absolutely not it was a once in a lifetime thing i mean um you you can't i mean some people did run away but um, we didn't even think about it. Uh, this Phuket has become our home, and uh, it's now quite a long time ago. The the tsunami, and yes, it was. Uh, it's something you never want to go through again. But we never ever thought of, of leaving. I mean, we love living here. It's a great lifestyle. Um, we chose to be here. We didn't get sent here. You know, we didn't get sent to purgatory. I mean, you're sitting here looking out. <laughs> where you know, it's 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 around just before lunchtime. We're looking out over beautiful blue water um, do I think another tsunami is going to happen now we know more now we've all everyone's learnt that it's an earthquake that starts a tsunami it happens out in the water um, there are tsunami warnings people all of this is monitored now it wasn't monitored before so if if there was an earthquake today um, let's say a thousand or 500 kilometers away we would get the warning everyone would know about it it would come through on telephones it would come through uh, the media and so people would be prepared for it whereas we weren't prepared before but no never thought of leaving yeah and i think if i was forced to be here it wouldn't be such a bad thing either it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> awesome <laughs> So in terms of um, business, there's um, you've been part of three restaurants and how quickly did business recover and was it the tourism that certainly helped that or was there a lot of government incentives to sort of kickstart business again after the tsunami for those coastal businesses that were impacted by the initial, the initial wave? Um, very little government um, in incentives or anything because they were the, the local government were really busy trying to, to help and, and clean up and, and but we, uh, there was a lot of, um, th- there was money put into different buildings and schools and things that had been destroyed. Uh, the business side came back, the tourism side came back, I would say, within six months. It, it's, we let people know, you know, Phuket is here, Phuket is operating. Yes, there's certain parts that uh, are going to have to be rebuilt, like Patong Beach area. But... There were so many other places and, and people got the message. So people, to support Phuket, people started coming back. Uh, and really, there were yes, there were still places where there was piles of rubble and, and things, but uh, yeah, it bounced back pretty, pretty quickly. We've um, just been in Japan recently, and I mean, it's a lot flatter there, so I guess the, the topography here certainly helps because it's got these big sort of hills just behind the beach where we can kind of escape to in Japan. It's very flat, and that's not an mm. option. So, But the recovery in Japan is taking far longer. It's been, what, 12 years now or something, and it's still there's still places where they just can't rebuild because it's too dangerous. They've erected these massive seawalls, whereas here, it's almost like you don't know a tsunami has been here apart from the tsunami signs everywhere, which is, I mean, it's, it's great that the people have rebuilt 
built. That tsunami evacuation, people more like they mentioned before around the tsunami and people being more aware of it. But the tsunami evacuation is that exercise or tested people kind of know where to go if a tsunami was to hit tomorrow. Okay, so Japan's totally different because it, it was a huge area that was damaged enormous areas you know uh, and and they have unfortunately they have earthquakes and tsunamis almost daily Um, ours was only hit as I said along the coastal area we have the tsunami signs that tell people evacuation areas it's basically pointing to a higher area so that if something happens you can you can run to a higher area which is easy that can mean running into a building uh, and, and going up. We wouldn't, I'm not an expert, but we are unlikely to have the type of tsunami that Japan has because, as you said, it hits the flatter area and Patong's flat. A cowlack is flat uh, and that's where it, it comes in and then keeps, keeps going in. Uh, those uh, earthquakes and tsunamis they get are very, very powerful. Uh, if we had one... If, if we got a warning now, it would still probably be the same thing, is that it would hit certain areas. People don't live here thinking there's going to be another tsunami. Um, everyone knows it's very likely to happen anywhere in the world at any time, especially the way the Earth crust is. So, earthquake, tsunami. So in terms of the local Thai community here, I get a sense from the conversation we're, we're having that they've learned a lot. There's been a lot of, like, that, that obviously experience, as, as painful as, it, as it's been, has obviously been a big learning moment for the local community here around, um, you know, what is a tsunami? How are they caused? Because I think you were telling us at the start when we got here that there was a little bit of folklore almost around tsunami before 2004. People really locally didn't understand some of the mechanisms around how they actually happened. Okay, so um, the sea gypsies, which have been here for many, many years, um, they have in their folklore about tsunamis and things. So they seem to have understood more what was happening. Um, Local people didn't. None of us, nobody. Mm. And local being Thai people really didn't. And after the tsunami was, there was a lot of um, Oh, stories. You know, someone would say, on, on the 14th of, uh, of February, there's going to be another tsunami. And you'd say, you know, people like myself would say, no, there's not. Mm. Yes, yes, it is. It's, we know it's going to happen. And you go, no, not unless there's an earthquake. And we don't know that there's going to be an earthquake until basically it happens, although they can work those things out a lot more than... And, and people... Be, became a bit more balanced. People were nervous for quite some time and it was not long after the first tsunami that one day there was a tsunami warning. And it was interesting because I was, I think, at one of the restaurants and I was about to head home and I got stuck up on top of the hill because everybody moved out, everybody went, which was was good to see that everyone sort of went. Eventually I managed to weave my way through and then with a few others took the risk of driving down to one of the where flat beaches were and we looked at the top and still kept driving, we got home. But uh, so people did panic, you know, for a while. But I think uh, people have learnt so much and, and we do have uh, we, do, we have drills every now and then tsunami drills um, 
whether there is, it's just to remind people that these things can happen. Yeah. Finally, just to kind of wrap up this conversation, um, really interested to hear from your perspective around, you know, being someone that's been in a community before, during, and then after, what advice you would have for other areas? Because I know, obviously, Andrew and myself, based in Australia, Australia does actually have a big tsunami risk. The likelihood of it, obviously, um, is low, but the consequence, if it was to happen, would be catastrophic. And that's, you know, a hard thing for people to balance in their minds. But you know, what advice would you have for people uh, if they are in similar areas around the world around how they can prepare or what they need to be doing now to, um, you know, to, to, to actually understand the risk around them? For a tsunami, I, I don't think you can really prepare because, as we said, it has to be, it's caused by an earthquake out under the water somewhere. So if you're in coastal regions and if it's a, you know, the, the land is flat, you're more likely to have a tsunami than if, if you're somewhere where there's uh, high land. If if it hits high land, then we're all gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I live on up on... A, a, a bit of a hill, uh, but a half a kilo or a kilometre each side of me was hit by the tsunami because they were down lower on the water. Yeah. You can't, to prepare, just know that if, if a tsunami is coming, you got to you have to head to higher ground. Don't sit and, and if the government says you move to higher ground because it's, it's head out in the water, go. I believe you will get several hours warning unless it happens right in front of you. Um, but because it, it came from, the one here came from Banda Aceh all the way through. It took a long time. It's just nobody knew about it. Nobody knew what to do. Now, worldwide, I believe we all know the word tsunami, whereas we didn't. And we know what, generally we know what causes them. So if someone, if there's been a an earthquake out in the water, if the government call and say, this is a tsunami warning, be aware, you know, okay, if we're in a flat area, we should consider where we're going to go. That's really good advice. And I think it is really interesting that these tsunamis we've had in the last 20 years, the first we've kind of had in that computer age where we actually have the technology now to turn computers into those early warning systems and give that early warning based on seismic movements or whatever else, wave heights, that sort of thing. So there's certainly, we've had tsunamis for millions of years, I'm sure, before this and earthquakes, but now we're starting to actually go, well, how do we take our technology and apply it to these situations? So I think, as, as you said, the, well, the, the next tsunami we have will be a whole um, whole lot different based on what we have the, the systems now to kind of predict it and provide the early warning hopefully when it happens again. I absolutely agree with you. The, the thing is these days with the, the, the social media, with the systems that we have it's different than you know it's almost 20 years ago we're talking at the Asian tsunami we didn't have any of that then we didn't have all of this communication um, we have such amazing communication now and the ability I mean the weather the weatherman used to tell us what the weather was he had no idea if you know he'd look out the window and sort of go mm, yes the sun is shining today in Phuket uh, it's going to be 32 degrees uh, but now we have all of the knowledge and we can the weatherman predicts you know the meteorology meteorology department knows what they're talking about these days we hope <laughs> So we've talked a lot today about tsunamis so far, but this region, Asia, the Asia-Pacific region, we've had plenty of other disasters, most recently COVID. 
how's business been through all that? And I think we're, before we started the podcast, we're having a chat around, this is a regular thing, aviation, bird flu, COVID, everything else. You have them quite regularly. How does business cope when there's such uncertainty and how do you build resilience to those kind of regular disasters? <laughs> uh, as I said to you, you know, I've worked for this, uh, this restaurants for, for 21 years. And over those years, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Business has been fabulous, tourism's great, along comes the bird flu, business dies, and I mean, it, it completely collapses. Um, then you come back from it, and then it seems like two years later, something else hits you. And there's been many, many different things over the years, and it, it really has been a roller coaster. You have to go with it. I mean, tourism is what Phuket lives on. And when the tourists aren't here, there's no business. Um, your staff struggle, the restaurant struggles, you still have to cover all of your overheads and, and all businesses do. But, uh, and, and the same, I mean, COVID has been a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. But it's been a nightmare everywhere. Um, and now we're all trying to pull out of this, this nightmare. Uh, Phuket is now, you would have seen, is doing brilliantly and, and we're really happy. But I can tell you, this is a restaurant that seats 300 people and we had days where we had no customers or six, you know, um, and now we're, we're busy every day. So you yes. ride with it. <laughs> and speaking of that, it looks like it's about lunchtime here. And this is probably, I think, Josh, the most distracting podcast we've had. We're sitting here, there's jet skis and long tail boats going past and Thai food's about to come out for everyone here. So we better make a wrap on this. But Sorbman, thanks so much for joining us for me, myself and Disaster. Had a great episode today, I think, and learned so much around the tsunami. So thanks again for joining us today on me, myself and Disaster. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's all we have time for on the show today. Join us again next time as we talk to more interesting guests from across the world about their experiences during disasters. We'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to Me, Myself and Disaster. Subscribe today at memyselfdisaster.com.